Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Just as we know, as we come to this season, you know, yesterday was the 20th year of 9-11. And uh, it reminds us very, very significantly that our lives can turn in a moment, not only in our nation, but around the world. And so as I was really praying for our nation yesterday, and I was preparing a message that was, I was really excited about, and I will, I'll use it along the way, but the Lord switched something in my heart that I kind of put the other one aside. I was joking because, uh, you know, I, I, I was... It was Friday, and I usually have Saturdays off, and so I'd work Friday, and then and I knew I was going to write this message on Saturday that I was I already had one written, and I was like, I don't want I want a day off, Jesus, but he was like, well, get over it, little boy. <laughs> and so I feel like God wants to give us a real clear word today, as we're in this series about church or churchology. It's important we understand who we are as a church, but more than that, and you know, there have been trends over the years that churches, you, you know, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? I think a real answer to the vision of a church should be this. It doesn't matter what my vision is. What matters is what is Jesus' vision for the church? I understand churches have different areas of, of emphasizing and, and c- carrying out the word of God. I get that. I, and I know that's what a lot of people are saying. But have we ever stepped back and said, wait a minute. Jesus, you purchased this church, our lives. You called us together to be a family, a church, a local church. What do you want to do? And I felt a real clear word from the Lord as we're studying the church. A few weeks ago, we looked at when the church was spoken of by Jesus for the first first time. We were challenged. We heard the words of Jesus that I'm calling my church to break down the gates of hell in the world. And we said amen, and we like it, and it's good, and I still like it. And then we received a word that brought healing and comfort to us. That the church is to be a place that we are familiar with the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ because we are going to live in days, and maybe even today, that we're going to need his comfort to remain on our purpose. Then we we received a word last week about God's called us to be family. If we want to be the, the church that Jesus is building, we need to understand that we're family. And family doesn't give up on family, amen? We stay in it. If we don't like dinner, we still eat it, right, amen? Because we're a family. We care for one another. We have a responsibility to one another. But today I want to talk to you about the church that's under the kingship of Jesus Christ. I believe God is speaking to us in this day and this hour. I really believe the word today, well, I know. It's a prophetic word from the Lord to us. And prophetic words encourage, they are to lift up, but often they challenge Often, 
it's uncomfortable. So prepare your uncomfortableness, okay? (laughs) The Lord loves us, and he wants us to discover what he's doing in this hour. And it's going to take courage. But I believe God is speaking to us to relentlessly pursue, to define, to discover what it means to be the people of God and the church of God. The basis of this sermon today is when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. We call it triumphal entry. A lot of times this is the message or the passage that's used on Palm Sunday. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this passage that I saw some things I'd never really seen before. Given our circumstances in our nation and around the world, The Lord wanted to give some clarity. And so before I get into the message, let's just come to this passage out of John chapter 12. Jesus has been ministering. He is making his way to the cross. As we studied several weeks back, he was in Caesarea Philippi, and he was was telling his disciples, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against her. From that moment on, he set his face to Jerusalem And he spoke often of his death. Right after the Caesarea Philippi and the statement about the church, it was the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was there that Moses and Elijah showed up and God spoke and said, come on, this is my son. Something incredible is about to happen. And then he went from there and started making his way to Jerusalem to die. And this is where he is coming into Jerusalem. So let's pick up the passage out of John chapter 12. The next day, the great great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, keep in mind, this is Passover time. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it's written. This is a, um, a quote from Zechariah 9. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, he called Lazarus, excuse me. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Jesus rides into Jerusalem and they are declaring, King, he's King, King of Israel. And they started speaking and saying things about the kingship of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe if we were to go ahead and come into today's hour today, 2021, I don't believe any, anyone who was following Jesus would deny that he is their king. 
or any church that calls himself a church, would, everybody would say, yes, Jesus is king. But I think many times that we stop at the implications of that statement in our individual lives and in our local church faith. They declared him as king. They said, you are king of Israel. They acted as though he was king of Israel. They used words that fulfilled prophetic messianic prophecies to say, you're the one, here you are, the king is here. But what happened? I think today in our church and in our world, we know that we live in a world that culture promotes individualism and where everyone can possess their own truth as we've spoken of often here. And even if their truth contradicts with someone else's truth, everyone still calls their truth truth. It's weird, but it happens. And I think the way, that way of thinking has deeply impacted the Western church and much of Europe as well. So we have adopted questions or statements about the kingship of Jesus, and it sounds like this, friends. Sounds, sounds something like this. What does it mean to you that Jesus is king of your life or your church? What does it mean to you? Or questions like this. What does that passage of Scripture mean to you? And I'm afraid, church, that we have been seduced into a Christianity that puts me at the center of everything. That I am the one that defines what Scripture means. I am the one that defines what kingship means. But as you know, Jesus didn't save us or call us and bring us into his family, ordain the church and birth the church and lay his life down for the church. He didn't give us a, a mission and a vision on the earth and then turn around and ask us, what does that mean to you? He said, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be a church. And we've lived in the hour of celebrity pastors, little cool little quick sound bites. And we have bowed our knee to the teachers of the word that say, this is what it means to me. I believe God is calling the church to hear his voice in this hour and this day. I think in our minds when, when we think of kingship, when we think of what it means for Jesus to be king of our lives, all of us in our minds have the picture of William Wallace. Painted blue face, riding a white horse with a big old sword that's dripping with blood. That's my king. That's what the Jewish people thought as well. They were waiting for William Wallace. 
But when we think of kingship, I want you to think about this for a minute. When you think of king, we get this maybe even a Disney character in our mind, a tall, dark, and handsome man riding on a majestic white horse. That's kingship. None of us have in our minds a picture of a hero king that, is, that rides, that rides kind of in, into our lives as king or a middle-aged man who's a little pudgy and he gets off his, his, uh, his mule and he gets down he's trying to catch his breath and he's wheezing. You're not like, that's my king. Nobody thinks that. I might have just described myself, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Nobody thinks that. We've determined in our minds what a real king looks like. Because that's what being a king means to me. That's the kind of king I want. We're not the only people of God that have thought that. We just read a passage where they obviously thought the same thing. The Jews living in the time of Jesus had fashioned and created a picture of the Messiah that they were waiting on who would rank up there with the greatest of heroes in all of their time. And they were picturing in their mind a king who would ride into Jerusalem on a white stallion, ready to lead the forces of Israel, now catch me today, to overthrow the tyranny of Rome that was there, that was occupying their, their land, their homes. And do you know why that's the type of king they thought the Messiah would be? Do you know why that's what they were waiting on? It's the same reason why we define what the kingship of Jesus should look like in our lives and in our church and in our country. It's the same reason because it's what they wanted. It's what we want. It's what they were longing for. Because the Messiah, the king of Jerusalem, would appear for the purpose of what they needed him to appear for. And what was needed in their minds, now catch me today, was for Rome to get out of Israel. And for, for the Jews to have their rightful land and their rightful freedom. For them, the purpose of the prophesied king was defined by their immediate needs, their pain, their tension, their struggle. Now, and they stood back and they watched Jesus. They saw the crowd he was, that were following him. They saw the miracles. And they said, I know how this is going to end up. He's riding in the town on his horse with a sword, with the blue paint, even in a Scottish kilt, a Jewish man. <laughs> That's what they were thinking. Just joking on, you know what I mean. They were watching and waiting for him at any moment to raise an army to revolt against their enemy. It was true, the oppressive, the abusive, the overreaching, the violator of their rights, the one who, who took from them their personal freedoms, the great Roman military, our Messiah's going to slay that giant. 
And they were waiting. And so the hearts were poised. They were ready to join as Jesus rode in. And they waved the palm branches. You see, they didn't know what we know. They were waiting on their king and their minds. They were waiting to join the great physical battle for their freedom. And they were waiting for Jesus to give the head nod. Now, let's go. They believed these things. Why did they believe them? Well, they were using scripture. They were using the Bible. They were being biblically accurate. They were quoting Psalm 118, which we read in them. They were quoting Zechariah 9 that we read in that passage. What were they missing? They had scripture to back up their belief. But the question is, did they? Because as you know, just a few days later, they crucified him. How and why could they have missed the king of kings and the Lord of lords in their midst? How? The king was in their midst. The kingship of, of God through his son Jesus, through the Messiah, they rejected it. How? I believe God wants to speak to us today. I want, he wants us to learn something from his people. And he wants us to not forget. So how can God's people miss being under the kingship of Jesus? How do we do that? We might say, no, no, I'll never do that. They did. And so let's learn from what they did and how they missed his kingship. Number one, how do you miss the kingship of Jesus in your midst? We selectively read and interpret biblical promises of what Jesus, our king, came to do. We selectively read. These people read the Bible to affirm what they wanted the coming king Jesus to be and to do. They used scripture. They quoted Isaiah 9, the government shall be on his shoulder. But you know what they did? They put into place what that's going to look like. They quoted from Micah 5.2 that out of Judah will come who will be ruler over Israel. They had in their minds what a ruler really is. And as we know, on this side, the promise of a victorious king that was spoken of all from the beginning of Genesis, the promise of a victorious king was far greater and far more comprehensive than they understood. They were God's people. Now listen, listen. They were God's people who missed God's promise because their vision was short-sighted and they reduced the purposes of their eternal God 
that sees the end from the beginning to their current temporal struggles. And they selectively used the Bible to justify it. We don't want to do that. If we declare Jesus as our king of this church and of our lives, he determines what that kingship looks like. We do not. Amen? How is it that we can miss being under the kingship of Jesus? Number two, as we learn from these people in Jerusalem, we are consumed with defeating the wrong enemy. God's people in Israel were looking for a political savior. They were consumed with the wrong enemy. Interesting enough, around 200 years earlier before the account of that passage, a priest named Judas Maccabees, he was, his nickname was the hammer because of his, his strength and how he was, his ferociousness in battle. And so Judas Maccabees had raised the Jewish army and led a successful rebellion to overthrow the Greeks and reclaim Jerusalem. Do you know why he did that? Because he read the Bible and he said, I'm going to do that. His battle cry, think about it, just listen to his battle cry. Who among the gods is like you, O Adonai? Beautiful, isn't it? Very biblical. In 163 BC, he rode into Jerusalem on a magnificent stallion. What everybody wanted their king to look like. People lined the streets. This is a historical event. Waving palm branches. And guess what they were shouting? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He rode in and he bashed away their enemies and he reconsecrated the temple. And even to this day, our Jewish friends celebrate Hanukkah to commemorate that victory. As they reconsecrated the temple, they began, they lighted, they lit the menorah. They were out of oil, supernaturally it burned. But that's why Hanukkah started. The same language that we read of the real king riding into the, riding into the city, his city. Same actions, same palm branches, same quoting of scripture, same everything. How do God's people miss it? The Jews believed Judas Maccabees was the Messiah. But three, three years later... He was killed in battle and buried, and he's still dead, and he's still buried. And they justified everything they did, the battles, the bloodshed, the anger, everything by quoting Scripture. 
Next time you go back to Israel, you can go see Judas Maccabee's grave. They thought the enemy that God wanted to defeat was the political power that was oppressing them. In Judas Maccabee's day, and now here we are in John chapter 12, Rome. That's what my king's going to do. That's my king who does what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Because my king alleviates anything that I'm uncomfortable with. That's what my king does. And a few days later, as we know, when they realized Jesus wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do, he wasn't going to fight their political battle for them. He wasn't going to, to, to overthrow the reigning evil, pagan Caesar. All of it's true. It was evil. It was pagan. It was not God. It was not, a, it's not real kingship. They wanted him to overthrow him because that's what their king would do. But when he did not do what they wanted him to do, when the king of the universe was in their midst and he did not politically overthrow somebody or something, they crucified him. Church, listen, when your number one enemy is not King Jesus' number one enemy, you may find yourself as a pawn in the hands of, the, of King Jesus' main enemy. And instead of living under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ and building his kingdom because he's our king and he tells us what to do, and instead of destroying the works of the devil, we become pawns for the wrong kingdom. You must be careful. When your number one enemy in, at night, in the middle of the day, as you go to sleep, is not King Jesus' number one enemy. The Lord wants to caution you today. By the prophetic word of the Lord, be careful. Because the enemy of our souls wants to use you as his puppet to bring division, to bring confusion, to make sure the king that we say actually is our king, that we don't engage in building his kingdom, but we actually are deceived and are building the devil's kingdom. We must remember our battle is different than the world's battle. Ephesians 6 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Now this is, this is spiritual rulers. Against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then it goes on to say, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, done all what? Resisted spiritual forces, we stand firm. 
The church that Jesus is building is the church in which Jesus is our king. What moves his heart moves our heart. What his enemy is is our enemy. What his purpose is is our purpose. What his attitude is is our attitude. And that is the church that will charge the gates of hell and kick over and dismantle the works of darkness. That's the church. Because we are walking in the authority of our king because we are carrying his purpose instead of our purpose. Friends, think about Jesus. He rides into Jerusalem. And I, I know this is uncomfortable. And I ask you today that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm asking you today to perceive this word. And if it's fooey, don't ever come back. But if you will open your heart, I think you'll realize Jesus is talking to us. Jesus, as he rode into Jerusalem, wasn't concerned about the Romans. He was focused on enemies far greater and far more powerful. He was the victorious king. He was the one prophesied in the Old Testament. But his victory takes a form that God's people never anticipated. Because they were looking for a deliverer from what was actually not their greatest enemy. And what kind of king would destroy an enemy that is not our greatest enemy? Not a very good one. Friends, Jesus, our king, can be right in our midst and want to use us and move through us to destroy and dismantle the gates of hell. And we can miss the call that we've been waiting on, we've been praying for. We can miss the call to charge his hill because we're listening for him to tell us to charge our hill. And so when he calls us, once, when he, if he wants to use it for his purposes, we dismiss his voice because it's not in our box, in our kingship box. This is what a real king does. This is what King Jesus has called the church to do. And if I don't hear that call, it must not be Jesus. While Jesus is leading his army to charge the gates of hell, dismantling the devil and his evil works, we're waiting for him to say something about our stupid box. Jesus is looking for a church who lets him be king. What can we learn from these people in John chapter 12 and the other accounts, even out of Matthew? How can God's people miss being under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Number three, our primary focus is the earthly preservation of our nation. The main reason God's people missed recognizing Jesus as king was because the Messiah they wanted was only about them being saved. They were wanting Jesus to stand on their side to crush the Romans' empire. But think about it. That's not what Jesus was doing. 
They wanted him to stand with them. But that's not where Jesus was standing. He was standing on the side of all of humanity. Every person, every person who'd been cursed, who'd been infiltrated by the demonic sin in their lives, every person broken, abused, hurting, every tongue, every nation, every skin color, every language, he was standing on the side of all of humanity to rescue them and save them, and they were worried about their city. He was standing for everyone, and they could have joined him. The people of God in this passage traded receiving the eternal gain and being under the kingship of Jesus Christ for temporary gain. Jesus was coming for an eternal difference, for an eternal impact, for billions of people. And because they and humanity is easily seduced by this world to live for this world, we can miss and we don't recognize the king is in the house and he's doing something epic and eternal and we reject his kingship because we can't see how it benefits us. And in any given situation, This is a, a quote from Pastor Mark Davies, one of his professors. He says, in any given situation, a com in conflict or difficulty or polarizing issue, the most important question you can ask yourself is this. Listen to me. Where is Jesus standing? And then go stand with him. Have you asked yourself lately, where is Jesus standing? I believe the Lord wants to remind us today, as the Word of God says out of Philippians chapter 3, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan has always been for the nations, not just for Israel in John chapter 12. It still is. His plan has always been for the world to bow and worship him. There's nothing wrong with being con concerned about our own nation. I believe there are, it, it, it is a stewardship issue, and we should be concerned. But we must keep intention that our nation is not the center of God's full attention and will. Say amen to that. Our nation is not the only nation on the world that he came to save. Our democracy is not the only government Jesus is up to something epic, and he wants us to join him. Let's not miss him.
It's interesting, as I was writing this, I just sensed the Lord just give me some clarity. The purpose, I'll say it this way. The church of Jesus Christ, we, we understand the solution for the hurting nations around the world. We, we understand it. To the broken, hurting nations, which we know it's destructive and everything, their, their hearts are broken, they are lost, they're dying, they're going to hell. Their nations, certain nations are overthrown, certain nations, all this kind of We know that the only solution to that nation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that. But what we think is that our nation, the United States of America, is exempt from that same solution. The answer to our brokenness is not a political movement. It is not a war. It is not an uprising. Our only hope is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my deep concern as a pastor and a teacher of the word of God is King Jesus is in our midst doing something eternal. And we can't recognize him. Because what he's doing is infinite. It's eternal. And we're looking for a king that's finite and temporary. We must be careful that we do not become like the majority of the Jews in this passage who waved the palm branches and welcomed King Jesus only because he fit their nationalized box. And so, when they realized Jesus isn't doing what I want him to do, they quickly shifted to find another king. Their hearts declared, don't tell me my king doesn't want to alleviate my immediate pain. Don't you tell me that. I reject you. And they did. And if you don't tell me what I want to hear, if you don't, if you don't tell me what to do with vaccines or masks or political freedom or the Constitution or whatever. If you don't tell me, get out of here. We do it. Find another church. Find another friend. Find another pastor. Find another group. Find another blog. Find another YouTube teaching. Find another way. Find another. Find something else that fits what I want my King Jesus to be. And I will align myself with whoever is saying what I want him to be. And we miss out that Jesus is in the house and he's looking for people who will come under his kingship and make him Lord and King and leader of their life. Paul writes to Timothy, chapter 2. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people 
So Paul's telling Timothy, listen, I told you the solution was the gospel. I told you this is the only answer. I told you what to do. I told you don't be, don't be intimidated. I told you to keep going forward. You take what I told you and you entrust that into reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is de- de- uh, he's, he's ex- he's distinguishing That there's a separation of Timothy and the world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the earth. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now look, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. This is not a statement that God doesn't use military or police or Righteous judges or leaders, this is not what he's saying. But he's saying whatever you do, you make sure it is with the heart and the understanding of who your king is and why you're doing what you're doing. Do not get tangled up in the seduction of the world. Mike Iaconelli is a Baptist pastor. Many years ago he wrote a book called Dangerous Wonder. This is what he writes. The most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion. It's not pornography. It's not the deterioration of the family. It's not moral absolute drugs, racism, or or sexuality. The critical issue today is dullness. We have lost our astonishment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is no longer good news. It's okay news. What happened to the Christianity that turned the world upside down because hearts and lives were altered? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power to be dangerous? What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were set on fire, who had no fear and spoke the truth about Jesus, no matter what the consequences, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I'm ready for a kind of Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with such an astonishment of Jesus Christ that I am, it's considered so captivating that I am considered wild and unpredictable and dangerous. Yes, I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. I want a faith that is considered dangerous by our predictability. This is the reference, not of force, not of the sword, but of the gospel. Israel was hoping for a nationalistic political savior. God sent Jesus to be the light of all men. The church that is under the kingship of Jesus Christ has a passion to see people from every nation, including their own, turn to the faith and put their faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him with their lives. To be a church that Jesus is building, we must recognize our lives are to be a testimony that point to the only hope, the only hope of the world, Jesus Christ. Our mantra is to be Jesus only. Our mantra is to be give your life to Jesus. Our mantra is to stop getting so entangled in civilian affairs and follow Jesus. That's what our mantra is to be. The church Jesus is building is able to see past their own situation, is able to know that their purpose is to bring together people from all nations and worship and serve Jesus. The church that Jesus is building is aware that Jesus didn't come as a king to overthrow political leaders. The church Jesus is building is fully confident that he has been now hear me today, and continues to be sovereign over every king, every president, every mayor, every, every health department, every, every director of the county health department. The reason, the purpose that we do anything and everything as a church is because we are under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not sell the arena of the gospel. I will not sell out this church. I will not leverage what is holy, what is eternal for that which is temporary. I won't do it. We are to recognize that we are a part of building a global nation of Jew, of Gentile, of slave, of free, that all would be released from the shackles of sin and brought into the people of God by the work of our King. Friends, the victory of our King and our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not political and neither is our hope. Our, our victory of the Lord Jesus Christ is whatever he said his victory is and we will come into alignment with it and focus on it and live our lives for his kingdom, not this one. I close with this. How then do we live under the kingship of Jesus? Number one, become familiar with the heart and context of the whole Bible. Get to know the Bible. Stop reading someone else's idea and start reading the word of God. It's a letter to you. Read the word to inform you of God's agenda, God's passion. Number two, become consumed with defeating the enemy of our king. Whatever you do, wherever you are, Wherever God has set you to, to work and to do, your purpose is to be consumed with dismantling Jesus as king. Excuse me, his enemy. Your job is, dis, is to dismantle Jesus as enemy. And everything you do, and every one of us can do it in the arena that God's called us to be in. It's to be our motivator. It's to be, we are to live life differently. We're to carry out his kingdom purposes. Everything we do is for his glory and his glory alone. We do not get caught up in nationalistic glory. We will only live our lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's superior. It's greater than. It's better than. It's more exciting there's more power. It is, he is the God of the universe and he invites us into making his name famous. Number three, 
We must become consumed with the salvation of all people. You can do this wherever you are. There's a quote I read and says, I will go where I can. I will send others to go where I can't. I pray diligently for the gospel to be fruitful in both places. Jesus reminds us as he speaks and he says, I am the son of God. And I came to seek and to save the lost. Listen, Jesus has a lot of fans today. Enthusiastic supporters of Jesus and fans love to give. They love to sing. They love all kinds of stuff. We go, fans, that's what we do. But Jesus is looking for followers who will die to self and live the way he lived, love the way he loved, in the face of demands from everybody, everywhere. Followers put aside things, pursue unity. A fan is blown about by emotions, by circumstances, by the team winning and their perception or the team losing. A fan is in it for themselves, but a follower of Jesus is in it for Jesus, is in it for their king. Are you a fan? Are you a follower? That's the question. Is he your king? Or is he only your king when he does things your way? And the moment that he doesn't do it your way, you start looking for another king, another hope. Apparently God isn't sovereign. Apparently God isn't on the throne. Apparently my pastor's been woke. Apparently this or apparently that. Now you know I'm not woke, so I'm just joking here. But listen, listen to me, listen to me. Stop looking for another king. He's in our midst. Will you join him? Let's pray. Father, we commit all of this today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your prophetic edge that reveals and heals. Lord, today we confess to you and we repent that we have demanded that Jesus, you become the king we want you to become. We confess today that we've demanded that spiritual leaders follow the king that we want them to follow, that serves us. We repent today that we have had hatred and anger and disunity in our hearts and we've justified it by scriptures. We've taken scriptures out of context and we've used them and we have twisted things to justify our, our passion, our frustration, us cutting off people out of our relationships over certain things. God, we have, we have submitted and become pawns of the devil. And so, Lord Jesus, forgive us, cleanse us, come into our lives. We bow the knee at the kingship of you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for looking for another king. Forgive us, God, for wishing you would ride in and slay the people and kill our enemies. God, forgive us for being 
puppets. God, cleanse our house. Cleanse every one of our minds. Today, God, we lift you up as the king over our lives. We ask you to change the way we think. Lord, we make a commitment that we're going to become familiar with your word. We're not going to become more familiar with YouTube channels and news channels and blogs. We're not going to become more familiar with something else outside of your word. When we want answers, God, we're going to go to your word. When we want clarity, we're going to go to your word. Lord, we make a commitment today that we raise you up as king. And everything we do, we bow our knees. We bow our wills. We bow our minds. Though anyone, though no one will follow, I will. The cross before me, the world behind me, there's no turning back. Though none go with me, Lord Jesus, you know my heart. I will still follow. You are my king. And I love you. And I submit my life to you. And I submit my mind to you. I submit my future to you. May you use me as you see fit. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed here today. If you're here today and you've never received forgiveness of your sins, and you recognize that you are lost and not forgiven, Nobody is looking around. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, just raise your hand right where you are. Raise it up. This is your moment, your chance. Anyone here want thank you. God bless you. Just hold it up so I can see you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And the Bible says this. If you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, that you will be saved. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me, you rose from the dead, and you want to forgive me. I believe you've already forgiven me. I give you my life. I come into alignment with what you've already done. And I receive salvation from you today. From this moment forward, you will be my king, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.